The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at uh, the college basketball season, both here in Rhode Island and a little bit around the country, if we can sneak some something in. It's, uh, this is Kevin McNamara. I'm here with Bill Koch. In the heat of basketball season, and uh, we've got a lot of t- lot to talk about, Bill, as usual. We certainly do. We've got uh, upsets of nationally ranked teams. We've got uh, one of the best Atlantic 10 starts by URI in two decades, uh, and we've got some big games coming up this weekend. They only get bigger, as they say, but uh, Providence, we're going to start with Providence College's uh, win over Xavier. Uh, it's it was their biggest. Let me let me get this right. Uh, biggest upset over a ranked team at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in almost ten years since two thousand and nine when they beat number one Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. That was back in the day, as they say. Keno Davis was the coach. Wow. Um, boy, I'd have to really think. That was the Wamey Efajuku. Led Friars. Very good. Um, maybe Randall Hankey. Were they all together? Uh, I don't know. Um, John Colley was on that team. Jonathan Colley, yes. I remember John Colley yes. uh, bent down and kissed the floor. And uh, sure enough, it was the highlight of that season because the Friars were uh, just fair and uh, did not make the NCAA tournament. But uh, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, now it's a new era, both in the Big East and for the Friars, with Ed Cooley as the coach. And uh, the Friars badly needed a season-turning win and delivered against Xavier, who was ranked fifth at the time, is now at 10, thanks to the loss to Providence. Providence won 81-72, uh, just played really well from, from you know tip to the end. A great balance with five guys in double figures. Karen Cartwright has strung together a few really good games in a row. His health is clearly taking a turn for the for the positive. He had 19 points and nine assists. And Rodney Bullock um, has kind of con- you know continued his pretty strong Big East play with 17. And maybe the MVP of the game was Isaiah Jackson off the bench with 18. Uh, Bill, I know you saw some of the game. Um, you know, uh, Providence really—they deserve to win the game. You know, I really felt like Providence did a good job of withstanding just about any punch that Xavier threw. Every time they tried to make a run, Providence seemed to have an answer. They never really let Xavier pull ahead. Uh, they got off to a good start, and they were able to maintain that through the finish. And and to me, it it showed a lot of mental toughness from Providence. And I think they they got a lot of juice from the crowd. It was a sellout. Uh, you could hear it over the air. I watched a game on TV. It sounded wild in the dunk. Um, um, it was all the circumstances were there for Providence to spring an upset, uh, and they just did a really good job of taking care of business. And badly needed because it was coming on the heels of a really difficult 95-90 uh, overtime loss uh, to Marquette, where uh, Bullock didn't play. He just came up with a with a bad stomach flu that day. Um, and again, needless to say, to f- turn around quickly and get that home win, uh, you cannot lose home games in this conference. No. It's, it looks pretty pretty solid that uh, the Big East is going to be very deep. It's going to be difficult to win ma- really many games on the road so protecting your own court is vital and uh, Providence did that uh, against Xavier. Now we'll turn around and go on the road and uh, it's funny people say well this is a trap game well w- w- what's a trap game? They play at DePaul on Friday Friday night. Uh, a trap game first of all DePaul doesn't stink uh, that's number one. They, they, they've turned things right. around a little bit uh, under Dave Lado. 
And the Friars lost it to Paul last year. So it's not as if uh, they annually trump the uh, Blue Demons year after year. It's just it's a difficult road game is what it is. Plus, you know, you, trap games for me, you tend to refer to a trap game for a team who's really good, like a top 10 team who's playing a really poor team. Providence isn't quite in that class just no. yet. You know, beating no. Xavier is a very good win. Won't take away from that. It really helps them going forward in terms of getting back sort of on that postseason track. But Providence shouldn't be at the point mentally where they're going to get trapped by anyone at all. They should be taking all of these games very, very seriously one by one. And, you know, an NCAA tournament team wins games in a row. Yes. And uh, Providence needs to start stringing some wins together. The last time that they won back-to-back, they beat to Sacred Heart to end the non-conference season and then open Big East play by beating St. John's. They have a window here uh, before the schedule really does get very, very difficult to string some wins together. Uh, if they can follow Xavier with a win at DePaul, then they come home and play Butler on Martin Luther King Day and then uh, at the dunk, and then host Creighton a week from Saturday, also at the dunk. Both games, going to be sellouts, going to be rocking. Uh, Really, games that Providence needs to win to, again, uh, start compiling that NCAA tournament-type resume. And they did two or three things against Xavier that I really liked that they'd be able to carry forward. The first thing was they took great care of the basketball, 19 assists and only nine turnovers. Alpha Diallo and Rodney Bullock both played 30 minutes plus, and neither one committed a turnover in that game. That's just excellent mental focus. It's great execution on offense. Second thing they did was they defended the three very well. Uh, Xavier is five for 18 from three, and that's something that Providence under Ed Cooley has done pretty well traditionally. Uh, you know, they've stopped teams on the perimeter. Uh, Ed's philosophy is take away the three, make them shoot tough twos, and, and they've done a pretty good job of that. And thirdly, and this was something I was critical of them for last week on the podcast, they held Trevon Blewett to 12 points, and he had none in the second half. And, you know, previously, other teams' leading scorers had had good nights against Providence. You know, Marcus Howard uh, in the previous game going for 52. Um, but they, that's, that's, that's a good night. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but they did a really, really nice job in Trevon Blewett. He went four for 13 from the field. You know, this was a guy who at Xavier last year in a home game roasted them, uh, you know, just destroyed them all all by himself and, and led an absolute route in that game. Um, you know, so that says to me that, you know, the turnover numbers, the attention to detail on defense and being able to limit Trevon Blue, it really tells me that Providence was locked in mentally in this game. And, and I'd like to see if they're able to carry that same focus into Friday at DePaul. Absolutely. Uh, you know, winning on the road is the mark of a good team. And uh, Providence really only, well, has one road win all season at St. John's. So to put another one up on the board is, is going to be vital. That clearly, I, I think the number for Providence in the Big East this year is 10 at a minimum. Uh, 10 and 8 uh, on top of their 9 non-conference wins which are it's an average lot uh, Providence is re- are really big uh, Washington fans right now uh, Boston College fans um, you know not too many others I mean there's, there's not no. a lot of you know wins that they can get excited about going forward in the non-conference so I, I think a 10 and 8 Big East uh, uh, finish is almost mandatory for the Friars. So, yeah. And that's going to require some some road wins. And, and the excellent thing for, for Providence going forward is, you know, I have their schedule in front of me right now. According to Ken Palm, every single game they play the rest of the way is against a top 100 opponent. Um, you know, and you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine against the top 50. 
Uh, you know, so those are just Georgetown's in the top 100. Uh, they are wow. actually, according to Ken Palm, Georgetown is 94. DePaul is 97. Uh, now, obviously, that's different than the RPI. We we want to point that out. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be evaluated differently, but it stands to reason that you know if Providence can go, I mean, let's say they go seven and seven, eight and six the rest of the way. There's no reason to think that if they win their home games and steal a couple on the road, there's no reason to think that they can't do that. And and that would put them in great position for another NCAA bid. Well, it's interesting you bring up the uh, the RPI and the, and the strength of the Big East schedule because it was funny. After the Xavier game, I went on the, I guess it was the ESPN site that has RPI. Yes. You might want to pull that up there. Sure. And see the strength of schedule. And, you know, we've made an awful lot about uh, Rhode Island's schedule on this podcast for uh, legitimate reasons. The Rams played one of their tougher non-league schedules in a, in really a long time. And yet, after only four Big East games, Providence's overall schedule had a higher uh, rating than URI's. And it just shows that going forward, uh, they're not going to have a problem with strength of schedule because they're just playing the iron uh, or, or a lot of top 50 teams. And as long as teams like DePaul and Georgetown and St. John's, who's really sinking fast, can remain uh, you know competitive, uh, th- those wins, any wins against those teams will, will help as well. Yeah, Providence, as we sit here right now, is 19 in strength of schedule. Uh, their non-conference strength of schedule actually ended up being 43 at this point, which is pretty darn solid. And, and as we know, you know they haven't played Villanova yet. They play them twice. Um, you know they haven't played Butler yet. They play them twice. Right. Uh, you know you're going to get a Hall. Seton Hall, yeah. who is ten in the RPI right now. You're you're going to get a serious bump playing a couple of these. And and if you're able to win you know, even one of those games on the road, even if you win at Seton Hall, that that just is like an injection of adrenaline into your RPI. Yeah, I think uh, Providence jumped from sixty-two to forty-eight just with the one win over Xavier. So. I don't think uh, the metrics are going to be a problem for the Friars. The issue is going to be winning games. Can they get the wins? <laughs> yeah, just any wins. Right, right. Um, so, again, we'll see what happens. Um, I will not be going out to DePaul. Uh, there's a football game in Foxborough on Saturday that seem, uh, people seem to be interested in. I heard something about that. Yeah, uh, but um, interestingly, the, the Fox uh, coverage of the Providence-DePaul game is going to feature an yes. all-access uh, really, for the first time ever for a men's college game, they've done it twice. Fox has done it twice in women's Big East games in the last two seasons. But both Ed Cooley and Dave Lado, the coaches in the ball game, are going to be mic'd from pregame through halftime, through the end of the game. Uh, there'll be two commercials before and after halftime. Uh, so you're going to get up close and personal with Ed Cooley. Uh, supposedly the only thing that's going to be bleeped are swear words. He promises to watch his P's and Q's. But how about when he rips the officials or rips mm-hmm. a player who's not doing what he needs to do? It's mm-hmm. it, it, it does make for an interesting watch. I, I've said before on this podcast, I think Ed Cooley could be the mayor of Providence. Uh, so I don't think he'll have any problem censoring himself. But... You know, for the listeners who who aren't, he, he's going to have a problem censoring. Himself. Oh, I don't think so. He, 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 I, I sit, I don't I sit so. close enough to him at a lot of these games. Well, that he he does have, you know, he has some language issues oh, like every other coach in the but country. That's that's what the microphones off. You put them on. Uh, you know, I I fully expect that he's going to be able to control himself. Although you you bring up a really good point, and and this is something that the listeners and and the viewers on Friday are going to get some perspective on. Our seats for the journal are. 
you know, adjacent to the Providence bench, pretty much where Ed Cooley walks back and forth uh, while he's coaching the game. He'll get up to the timeline and then back to the bench and then up to the timeline. We can hear just about everything he's saying, even in a sold-out building. And and I got to say, Kevin, his running monologue during the game is almost as entertaining as the game itself. He really is outstanding. And uh, there's been plenty of road games where I'm on the baseline near the bench as well. Sure, sure. And you can hear he's not a he's not a soft-spoken guy. No, no. I mean, uh, forget about where we sit. Uh, five rows back at the dunk, they have the they hear the same running monologue. It's outstanding. Yeah, and um, you know, again, I don't think. Ed is atypical. Uh, no, I, Dave no. Lato is definitely a little more subdued, but uh, these coaches, they yell and scream. That's, oh, that's you, what they do. If you mic'd up Coach K, you would hear some yeah. things that uh, would make you blush. I hear he knows the Polish F word. <laughs> I think he might know it in three or four different languages, honestly. Yes, uh, I've yes. sat close enough to his bench before. There you go. But um, so... Um, Again, the Providence at DePaul on Friday night, and then we'll turn around quickly and host uh, Butler. Uh, uh, I believe it's four. Let me see. I got it right here. Four thirty in the afternoon on Martin Luther King Day, uh, and again, a big crowd is expected that day. Ooh, that is a tight turnaround, isn't it? Quick. Yep. And uh, a Butler. Actually, I'm curious when the Bulldogs play. Maybe they're off for a while, which uh, Ed Cooley wouldn't like that at all no i don't think so uh no butler plays friday well as well they uh, they host marquette okay so it's an uh, equal uh, turnaround for both teams it is um switching to the rhode island rams uh, both uh, bill and i watched the rams get by st louis last night 72 65 out at uh, shyfus arena uh interesting game bill it's the first game that i've seen rhode island play in uh, i'd say a week and a half from from end to end mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't play well simple as that uh, didn't play well and yet still did what they needed to do to win on the road which is the mark of a big time team the now 12 and 3 Four and zero, and have won seven in a row. Seven in a row overall. Seven in a row uh, on the road in league play, and twelve in a row against Atlantic Ten opponents, counting the tournament last year. Yes, yes. Um, and we'll host St. Bonaventure uh, for breakfast on Saturday morning at eleven o'clock. Uh, but just a little bit about last night's game. Uh, obviously, you've seen Rhode Island's all their games. It, it just seems that they were lacking something offensively. Uh, that that we've seen pretty much all season long, especially uh, in the second half when they, you know, uh, St. Louis did a good job and held them to you know only thirty four points. Now, St. Louis did a really good job. They looked a lot like Dan Hurley's first team in a way. They were very undermanned. They only had you know eight scholarship players available. Um, you know, and no one really expected them to win against the Atlantic Ten favorites. But these games are difficult. Rhode Island is playing on the road. They did beat St. Louis by 34 last year. We talked about that on the podcast last week. Guaranteed Travis Ford used that as some motivation. The biggest takeaway for me in this game, Kevin, is two or three years ago they lose this game. There's no question about it. Rhode Island loses this game. They go behind 63-62 late, and they finish it on a 10-2 run. And that's what veteran championship teams do. That's what confident teams do. And... It's not really about the manner of performances at this point. Dan Hurley will be on his players. He'll say, look, guys, you know, we need, we need to shoot the ball better. We need to get E.C. Matthews more involved. He's sort of critiquing little things now. The big picture issues like being able to close a close, a close game, having confidence, having experience, those have all been ironed out, and you're seeing the result of that now. And I think from game to game, Again, mark of a good team. The Rams play a little differently almost every game. 
Last night, really, the, the key player in the ball game was Andre Berry. Right. Uh, to St. Louis's credit, I, I thought they were very physical. Uh, you know, not very good offensively, but very physical defensively. They really pressed up well on Rhode Island's guards, made life difficult a little bit off the bounce. But that really freed up the lane area for Berry, and sure enough, he steps up seven for ten from the field, seventeen points, ten rebounds. Uh, you know, it's it's like when we forget about an Andre Berry for a few games. He, he steps up when they need him the most. Well, he was scoreless against LaSalle, uh, if memory serves. And then against GW the other day, he had a nice game. And now 17-10, and 10, his first career double-double. Um, you know, of course, a lot of that has to do with Jeff Doughton, uh, because Jeff Doughton has a way of finding him. He had eight assists in that game last night. He had nine against GW. And if you watch the film of both games, most of Barry's baskets are coming off passes from Doughton, whether it be in pick-and-roll sets uh, or where Doughton penetrates along the baseline and just sort of shovels a pass and Barry's touch and hands are so good that if he catches it in the lane or or in the elbow extended odds are he's going to make the shot he shoots over 60 percent from the field uh and if he's able to give them something inside either him or Cyril Landervine on a given night you know that just makes them so much more dangerous because the guards as we know are going to be there yeah, I have questions about two players. Uh, one, you just mentioned Langevin. Uh He played 16 minutes last night. He was 0 for 1, 2 points, 3 rebounds. Uh, obviously not more minutes because Barry was playing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, do you think he's 100% back? He's clearly not 100% integrated into what they're trying to do and yet from time to time again he steps up and has he's he does what he needs to do has a very big game i think physically he's okay against gw he had 10 boards uh, against college charleston he had a double double pretty much won them the game down the stretch um you know physically he at times has been able to exert his will but you know as dan hurley said this team is a deeper team they have more options uh if he feels like one particular guy doesn't have it on a given night he's just going to go to somebody else uh you know that last night it was andre berry uh, a couple games ago it wasn't andre berry against LaSalle. uh you know against iona they finished the game the last eight and a half minutes they played five guards mm-hmm. and, and no bigs um and that's the advantage of depth I, I think you know a coach can sort of feel his way through you look like a much better coach when you have more options as opposed to well why don't they try to play this guy or why don't they try to play that guy yeah, and they're it, winning it, games here, and it's it's depth, yes, but it's versatility more important. Yes, you know you can have nine good players, but it seems as if Hurley has you know nine who he can mix and match depending on what the uh, you know moment brings and what the uh, what the game brings, and that's certainly what we saw last night. The other play I want you to comment on is EC Matthews uh, was four for eight last night, had ten points, uh, two assists in twenty one minutes. Never got in the flow uh, for whatever reason. Uh, again, I'm going to credit St. Louis as the principal reason because defensively they, they were quite physical, again, with URI's perimeter players. Um, is he – it seems as if he and Jared Terrell haven't meshed every game. Uh, maybe they don't have to, but my guess is in the big games they will. And, uh, again, we have seen them both play well in the same game numerous times. But uh, it didn't happen last night. No, it didn't happen last night. Uh, you know, Matthews got an early foul trouble in that game, and I, I think that really sort of hindered him. You saw Fats Russell come off the bench and have nine points in the first half, uh, again, which speaks to their depth, their versatility. You know, here's your fifth-year senior guy who gets two quick fouls. We'll go to the freshman. 
He'll just come in and score nine points and, you know, be a total menace on defense. And, you know, I mean, this is the wonderful luxury that good teams have. Uh, You know, but Matthews, I think, is just fine. He had had two good games back-to-back against George Mason and against LaSalle. Uh, You know, and he looked all the way back, uh, you know, against Florida Gulf Coast. They couldn't stop him. Right. Um, you know, when at his best, he's a rhythm player. Uh, you know, he's scoring within the framework of the offense. They're finding him with open shots on the wing. He's not necessarily as good off the dribble as Jared Terrell. And, and I think that's why, you know, there might be more nights where Jared, when they don't really have much flow or much rhythm going, there were a lot of fouls called in that game last night, uh, you know, where the game doesn't go up and back and up and back four or five times in a row Jared can play a little better in sort of those choppy like hand-to-hand combat type games because he can make a shot for himself off the dribble he can get to the rim maybe a little better than EC maybe a little more efficiently than EC but you know I think Matthews when you get him in the flow as we've seen three or four times since he's come back from that injury uh, he can be dangerous as well and and the nice thing for URI is it doesn't have to be an either or proposition they can both do it at given times and the end result is generally if one of them has a good night you win the game yeah uh, it's flip a coin you know uh, uh, take your chances with either Jared Terrell or E.C. Matthews. I think it was Len, Lenny Elmore, the color man in the game last night, made reference to that, that, uh, boy, what a luxury. You know, e- either way, for Dan Hurley, you go with your uh, fifth-year senior, former player of the year, and uh, or Jared Terrell, a you know, guy who's going to score 1,500 points and play an awful lot of minutes for four years. So That's right. It's a good problem to have. Um St. Bonnie this this Saturday, uh, one of the bigger home games on URI's schedule. In re- you know, I shouldn't say in retrospect. I think we always knew the Bonnies were going to be good, but mm. and yet the Bonnies have dropped a couple games here in, in the league that maybe took some shine off this game. And, and but yet it's a, it's a very dangerous game for the Rams. Well, they've given you a reminder that conference road games are difficult. They go to Dayton and lose. They go to St. Joe's and lose. Uh, they gave up eighty plus points in each of those games. You know, defensively they were off to a very good start this year. Uh, that didn't necessarily carry into the A-10. They've given up 78, 82, and 85 in three games. You're not going to win very much doing that. They've got Fordham at home tonight. I expect them to take care of that one. And then coming down to Rhode Island, you're just looking at Rhode Island, trying to stop Jalen Adams and Matt Mobley. I think the decision they've made the last few games is to try and turn Adams into a scorer and not a facilitator and take away Matt Mobley, who was one for 14 from the field in two games last season, a regular season meeting in Kingston, which URI won, and then an Atlantic 10 tournament meeting, which URI won in Pittsburgh. He's the type of guy who could go for 25 or 30 points and really ruin the night for you. And I think Rhode Island makes a good decision to take him away and let the rest of St. Bonaventure beat you. This is really a game for me, Kevin, where you need to have a big crowd, you need to come out and perform in front of them, and it's the type of game where, based on the preseason, you can come out and stamp your authority on the Atlantic 10 regular season title race with a convincing victory over St. Bonaventure. I, I can't agree with you more. You know, Winning at St. Louis is, is fine and dandy, but I, I'd be really impressed with Rhode Island you know, beating St. Bonnie by 18, you know, on, on its home floor. That's that's what you're, quote, supposed to do. And uh, great opportunity for the Rams on Saturday. And then they are home again next week, correct? They have UMass uh, next Wednesday. So you're looking at two home games back-to-back. Good teams supposed to take care of their home games. UMass won't be easy. 
uh, you know, they play very hard for the new coach, Matt McCall. They can just call Providence and ask them. How about how, how about a UMass win at Dayton by UMass without Rashawn Holloway, who I understand could be going for a while. And C.J. Anderson as well, who was suspended. I mean, very impressive win by the Minutemen. Uh, who knows what they can do in Kingston, but r- right now... Matt McCall is doing just a great job uh, coaching his team up in uh, Amherst. Uh, Bill, that's it. we got to wrap it up. Anything else? Uh, I'd like to wish good luck to the Brown Bears who start their Ivy League schedule on Friday at preseason favorite Yale. Uh, Desmond Cambridge, the fourth time he's been named the Ivy League Rookie of the Week this week. The freshman shooting guard, really a special player. Get out and watch him. I'm interested to see what Brown can do. I think they did a reasonable job in the non-conference, and I, I've said this you know, from the preseason on. I feel like they're going to give one of these favorites, whether it's Harvard, Yale, Princeton, whoever else, they're going to give one of them a long night here somewhere along the way and might be able to play their way into that fourth spot and get themselves to the Ivy League tournament. Yeah, real litmus test for the uh, Bears early at Yale Friday take a week off at uh, Providence, same two teams a week from Friday. Uh, I hate the schedule. I hate the Ivy League schedule. Uh, I, I, I hate so much about how the Ivy League operates, <laughs> with the exception of the 14 postseason soiree yes. at the Palestra yes. on uh, Selection Sunday weekend. But um, finally, the Bears are going to get back to work, and we'll see where they stand in the Ivy League. And also, uh, good luck to Bryant, who's back home, and they play Wagner trying to win two games in a row for the first time all season. It's been a long slog for the Bulldogs, but they do have a home game on Thursday night uh, against Wagner. Chance to win two in a row after they stopped their long losing streak against Sacred Heart. And it's nice to have Adam Grant back. He had 26 points in that game and, and obviously is Bryant's best player and, and they struggled mightily without him while he battled an, uh, an ankle injury. Not going to beat anybody without him. No. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, everyone enjoy the uh, college basketball. A little bit of football uh, sprinkled in this weekend. Busy time of the uh, sports calendar. Thanks, Bill. Thank you.